Father, we, we come here, we gather here for this special celebration for the risen Savior, that the grave could not hold him, that the cross could not hold him, that the love of God and the power of God raised him up, that we would know new life, that we would have life in abundance and we would have life eternal. And so, Lord, we come here this morning to celebrate that. We celebrate life, the life that's given through Jesus Christ. We come here to say thank you. Thank you for what you've given us. Thank you for what you've given us in the past, what you're giving us right now, and the things that you will give us in the future. We praise you for your love, a love that we don't deserve, but you just lavish upon us. We praise you for grace, a grace that we don't deserve, but you give it so freely. We praise you for your compassion. And God, I know that each person walks into this room with, in a different spot in their life and a different part of the journey, whether they've been walking with you for their entire life or they're just trying to figure this thing out. But God, I am confident that your word will touch their hearts this morning. Your spirit will touch their hearts this morning. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, so you know, sometimes it's hard to think about what you want to preach on a holiday because it's like the Easter story. Easter story doesn't change. It's always the Easter story. There's parts and pieces and bits of it on the Easter story. So I think that I have, I I received from God an an idea to teach because it's something that I wrestle with even as a pastor. And it's this thing, it's this thing called doubt. And I don't know, maybe it's not good to admit in front of a church that a pastor can doubt, but I don't care because sometimes I, I do, I wrestle with, and not just things of faith, but doubt in general. And I think that we are a culture of doubters. We need evidence. We need proof. We need something that's, that's real that we can go, yeah, yeah, now I can actually believe that. And it's almost a learned response. We teach our children to question, which in many cases, it's a good thing. But if you notice that as we get older, we become more and more prone to doubt. Children, you can get away with anything. I mean, I do this really lame magic trick. Kids are floored. I feel like I feel like David Copperfield. I'm just like, whoa, and they can hear And then they're just like, oh. But to an adult, they just shake their head and they walk away at me because, because they, they, they doubt, they know. Our experience tells us that I, I need something better than just, just a quick little fix. And so we're a culture of doubting. I love the, I love the X-Files. Remember that? Trust no one. I mean, that's the best show on TV except for Fringe now. But anyway, so, but, but you know, so, so, so we've, we've grown. I know, right? So, but, so we grow up into this culture of doubt. And some people, they just, they just live a life of just, they don't believe anything. They doubt everything. Now, when it gets to the area of faith, oh my goodness. Doubt can run amok there. 
And there's a lot of reasons for it, I think. Uh, one of them is, is ignorance. And I don't, I don't mean that in a derogatory sense, um, as, as stupid. I just, I just mean ignorance. I've, I've spoken to many people throughout the years, and they will tell me, I don't believe in the, what the Bible has to say. I don't believe in this whole faith idea. And I ask them, have you ever, have you ever read it? And they say, well, no. I mean, I've heard some of the stories and I know kind of, kind of what it says. And it, you know, it says this and that, but they've never actually read the Bible for themselves. And so their doubt comes from a place of not knowing. It comes from a place of, of kind of ignorance. And then I, I think, well, how can you doubt something that you have no knowledge of? And then I thought, well, maybe it's, that makes things easier. If you just don't know, it's just very easy to doubt. And then I think one way that we fall into it is doubting is a process of, of maturing, isn't it? I mean, we, as we grow older, we become more critical and more analytical. When I was a youth pastor many moons ago, because I've been doing this for so long, and I remember... You know, working with, working with young people and their families, and, and they all go to church, right? And these families have grown up in church, and their kids grow up in church, and they go through youth group, and they do all of the things that youth group. And, and soon as, as soon as high school is over, then they go off to college, something happens. They leave the safety of church world. They leave the safety of, of uh, their, their Christian friends, and they're bombarded with all of these questions, all of these ideas, all of these things that push against everything that they've been brought up to believe. And they begin to, they begin to question. And then they begin to doubt because they've never considered that idea before. Philosophy classes, psychology classes, those things can scramble your eggs. That means really confuse you in your mind, okay? So just so you know. And, and, and so, and they, and they just begin to, to doubt everything. But see, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I've seen God use those seasons in young people's lives to begin to figure out what they really believe and what has just been inherited from, from their parents. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because sometimes it takes that season to come out to the other side and their, their faith is strengthened. But I've also seen it shipwreck faith. Because people start to bombard them with questions and they start to ask questions. And then they just stop and they never look for answers. And then their faith, it just falls apart. They walk away. Sometimes doubt comes from a very personal crisis, deep, hurtful crisis in our lives. The loss of a, of a loved one. Some type of abuse that you've been suffered some type of terminal illness, financial loss, and it can really begin to, to kind of sink down in us these questions of, you know, what, God, what are you doing? You're good and you've allowed this to happen to me? What did I do to deserve this? And we begin to doubt God. We begin, we begin to doubt his goodness, who he is, that he is actually powerful. And so all of these things could can cause us in the areas of faith to begin to doubt. But just like, and you know, that's not an exhausted list. There are other things that can kind of get that thing stirred up in us. And just like there's many ways to fall into it, I think there's a lot of ways to get out of it. But all of them seem to be very personal, kind of introspective 
we move through life and we move through life's experiences and we, we, we come out on the other end and somehow it works in us either to walk away or to press in closer to God. This morning, I want to look at a story in the Bible about a Jesus follower who doubted. This guy doubted that Jesus rose from the dead, wasn't going to believe it. And so let's, let's set the backstory up here. Jesus is crucified on the cross. He's dead and he's buried in the tomb. Now, his disciples, I don't believe, really saw this coming at all. They had, they had really no idea that this was really going to happen, that this was going to all turn out the way it just has. I mean, Jesus did talk about it a lot, and he told them, but, but they just couldn't get their minds around it. They just couldn't quite understand what was about to happen. And then when they saw it, oh my goodness, they just they lost their minds. They freaked out. And it's because, D.A. Carson would say this, it's because that messiahs are supposed to win. Messiahs don't lose. They're not nailed to a cross. Messiah wins. And the whole, and the whole resurrection thing, that's not, even, that's not even in the back of their mind at this point. I mean, these, these people, they are huddled upstairs in a room, doors locked, blinds closed. I don't know if they had blinds then, but they had something, I guess. And they're hiding, and they're scared, and they're broken. They're worried that they're going to be arrested. And if they knew that Jesus would rise again from the dead, if they really believed it, I think they would be a little bit more relaxed about what just took place. I mean, wouldn't you think? They would be like, yes, he's coming back. But no, man, they're, they're really scared. And so, Sunday morning, the tomb is empty. Word starts to get out. They don't believe the women. Peter goes, he sees it. I don't know. And then later on that night, that day, Jesus appears to his disciples. But one of them is not there. Thomas is not with the rest of his disciples. Now, it doesn't tell us why he wasn't there. Maybe this was just way too much for him to handle. He just saw his friend his, his, his uh, teacher, his rabbi, the Messiah, he just saw him killed, you know what? And he just needed some time away. He just needed some time alone. Maybe, maybe he was afraid. Maybe he thought that there were more arrests coming and he just didn't want to be with that whole group and he was out somewhere else just, just hanging low. We don't really know why he wasn't there, but the scriptures tell us that he was not there. But Jesus appeared to his disciples. Now we'll pick up the story in John chapter 20. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Whoa. That's chutzpah right there, right? I mean, this guy is a Jesus follower. He's a disciple. He's been with him. He's lived with him for years. He's, he's seen the miracles. He's heard the teachings. And he's a devout Jew. He believes in the God of the Bible. 
And he knows how God has worked miracle after miracle for, for his people. Big miracles, Red sea size miracle, plague miracles. He knows that God is, is a powerful God and he has saved Israel many times. And yet, he doesn't believe. He's like, nope, I'm not believing it. The guys that, that he's been with for all these years tell him, we have seen the Lord. He's like, I ain't going to believe it until proof, until I see the, nail, the wounds in his hands and the wound in his side. And, I gotta, and, and you know, as I, as I think about that, I'm thinking like, what's his problem? I mean, what's going on in his mind? I believe, I believe that Thomas, his doubt has grown from a place of disappointment. He is really disappointed. And you know what? Religious disappointment can be devastating in anyone's life. This guy that, that we kind of just kind of shake our heads at, he, he's hurting. I mean, he's been deeply hurt. He believed Jesus. He believed the things that Jesus said. He followed him. He gave up everything, friends and family, his job to follow Jesus and be part of his, part of his disciples. He believed what Jesus said. He believed when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Thomas believed that. And now, and now this, the Messiah, killed, crucified, Crucifixion was, was the way to kill people. They were, they, they were the dregs of society, the worst criminals. They got crucified. In fact, it was so bad that a Roman citizen could not be crucified because it was just a terrible way to go. And Jesus is crucified. And so his doubt comes from this, this place of just wrestling. And he, he doesn't want to be hurt again. He doesn't want to be disappointed again. And so this guy is just, he's broken, disillusioned. You know, I found as I kind of get to meet and chat with people, many people experience that same thing. They, they are disillusioned with, with faith, with religion, and with church because it, something just doesn't, doesn't work out quite the way they expected it. I got a story for you. When I was a Jesus follower early on, like months after I came to know Christ, I came to, to begin my journey with him, uh, I went to a ministry, a healing ministry, all right? And it was at Southington High School. And this lady, I was told that, that the miracles happened with her, that she would pray over people and the power of the Spirit would come upon her and, and people would be healed. And I was new to all this and I wanted to see that. I mean, who wouldn't want to experience and see a, a miracle? And so I went. I went very hopeful. And, and I, I sat there, and I remember, you know, the worship team was up there, and, and then uh, she came out, and she did some teaching thing, and then this guy comes out on the stage, and he looks around, and he says, let me tell you something. This evening, the Lord doesn't want your $1 bills. Mm-mm. The Lord doesn't want your $5 bills. 
Not even your $10 bills. What the Lord wants from you this evening is your $50 bills and your $100 bills. Now, listen, I was new to the faith, but I wasn't new to life. And so, and so I'm just sitting there like, huh, okay. And then the bucket came out. And since I didn't have any 50s or 100s and God didn't want my 5s or 10s, I didn't put nothing in the bucket because I didn't want to upset God. So, so it, it just kind of goes by me. But, but like red flag number one, I'm just like, that just didn't set right with me, you know. But anyway, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a graceful guy. I kind of let that slide because I wanted to see this whole miracle thing, right? So she comes down. And she starts to pray for people, right? She puts her hand on this person's head and prays and boom, the person falls down in the chair. I'm like, oh. And she just goes down the line praying for people and they're just collapsing in, in the chair. And there's dudes behind them and they're catching them and they're, they're laying them down and people are like, uh, in the chair. And I'm like, oh. this is, I've heard of this. This is like that slain in the spirit thing. And I'm witnessing it and I'm starting to get a little nervous because it's going to be my turn really quick. Stupid me, I sat way down in the front to get a good seat. And I'm like, and I'm thinking, what happens when, 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 when you fall? Does it hurt? Are you dreaming? I mean, I don't know. And so I'm, I'm, and she's coming. I can feel my heart racing, and she's coming to me, right? And, she, and, and I got the dudes behind me, I guess, so I don't hit my head on the chair or something like that. I don't know. And, and she puts her hand on my head, right? She says something, and she prays something, and nothing. I'm like, oh, she ran out of mojo or something. I don't know. She, she used it all up. I, I, I don't know, right? And I look at her, and she looked at me, and I was like, uh, I don't know. And then she puts her hand on my chest. I guess she has to go for the heart this time, right? And she gives me a little push. <clears throat> I just went. Still nothing. And then she walks away. She has the audacity just to leave me there hanging. I'm like, what happened? All these people are like falling down and, and they're just like passed out in front of me. I get nothing. Maybe God did want my $5 or something. I don't know. I mean, I knew I was a broken person, but... But I, I got, and, and people around me, they're just falling and crying. And I'm like, I got, I got, I got nothing. And then a couple rows up, there's this, there's this younger girl, um, probably college age. And she's in the chair like that, right? Because she got slain in spirit. She went down like a house of cars. <clears throat> and she does one of these. Pops her head up. She looks around and goes back down like that. And I stood there. I went, for real? And I know the story's funny, but in that moment, I was like, really? Is, is this just a big joke? I mean, I came here to see the power of God manifest, in, in, and I really believed it would happen. And then it just turned into a huge sham for me. And by the time I realized they were up in the corner, they were whooping and hollering over there, you know, I walked out. And I was disillusioned at that point, man. I was just like, what was that? I mean, is it really a joke? And, and I was new to the faith. And I said, you know, I'm never going back to something like that again because that was just, it was dumb. I can tell you now that I do believe in the power of God and the power that he still has to do miracles today. But back then, it, it really kind of rocked me to the core. And I walked out of that, that high school and I was just, you know, okay, God, <laughs> that was not what I expected it to be. And you know, many people, both inside the faith and outside of the faith. They experience that disillusionment. They're told something. They're told that this is going to happen or this is going to be amazing. Or if you just do this, then that will, that will happen. And it's not the case. There's too many people on late night TV promising, if you just send us 1995, we have this little prayer cloth right here and we have sprinkled it with holy water. We have prayed on it. We've spit on it with holy spit. And if you just, 
okay, maybe the spit thing wasn't true. But, and, and if you just buy this and you take this home and pray over it, whatever you pray for is going to happen. And then you buy that. I haven't bought it, I'm just saying. But, and you buy that and it doesn't work. And then you find out, well, it's because you didn't have enough faith. Oh. Or late night, you call that phone number because it says, hey, if you want to be prayed for, just call the number and we'll have one of our prayer warriors pray for you until you get them on the line and they tell you that you need to make a slight donation to keep this ministry going before we can actually send you to the prayer warrior. And people have been duped in the area of religion, faith. They're looking and they're hungry and they have these charlatans who just take advantage of that. I do not want to be standing next to one of those people when they come before God. And I would believe, I would have to believe that Thomas feels the same way. He feels the same way. He's been duped. He's been taken advantage of. And he's not going to let it happen again. He doesn't want to be hurt like that again. And so he doesn't believe. He needs, you know, I would say that his faith isn't being tested at this point. His faith has been shattered And he is hurt. And he wants to see something. He wants to make sure that this guy his friend saw is Jesus Christ and not some imposter. He needs to see the wounds. He needs to see his hands. He needs to see the wound in his side because that one would have been unique to Jesus. Because the other guys, they got their legs broken, but not Jesus. He already died before that happened. And he had a spear plunged into his side. That's the one that he really needs to see. There would be no arguing with, with it if, if Jesus appeared and he saw those, those wounds. Because he just knows in the depth of his heart that no Messiah can go out the way Jesus did physically tortured, demoralized, spit on, laughed at, crucified on the cross. You see, I do believe that Thomas believed Jesus was who he said he was. He believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And then it all falls apart. But you know, the story of Thomas, I mean, his story is our story. And and our story is, is his story. There are many times in this faith journey where we have come to a place where we have to deal with doubt, deal with questioning God, deal with our anger towards God because he has not delivered the way that we expected him to deliver. We all have been in that place. And we ask, why? Why would you let this happen if you love me? Why would, you, why would you let me walk down this road if you love me? Or maybe, maybe it's, can you really forgive me again? How can he forgive me for that? And we start to doubt the love of God and we start to doubt the goodness of God. And when you're in that place, man, it's a very anxious place to be in. It's a very anxious place. You don't find peace there. You don't find comfort there. And we're left with this longing for proof, something tangible, something we can get our minds around, something in the physical that, yes, God really does love me. Yes, God really can forgive me. Yes, he will not forsake you and he will not leave you. But sometimes we just need something just a little bit more than just words on a page. 
Many of our prayers are asking God, show me, please, show me, show me. And so just like Thomas who needed proof, we find ourselves in that same story where we need proof. We need proof in our pain. We need proof in our disillusionment. We need proof in our brokenness. And we need it when we doubt. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. And so a week later, Jesus shows up, Jesus shows up again and everybody's still hanging out and he comes in the same way through a locked door. Freaked me out a little bit, but he comes in through the locked door and he says, peace be with you. And on the surface, that's just a, a casual greeting in the culture. He probably would have said the word shalom. Peace be with you. But on a, it's not a superficial thing. Nothing Jesus does is superficial. He has risen from the dead. And now because he has risen from the dead, we are at peace with God. We can know reconciliation with the creator of all things. And so peace be with you is deep with meaning. And then he says, hey, Tom, come here. Check this out. Go ahead. Put, put your finger in there. Oh, you want to see my side? I know that's the one you really want. Look, put, put your hand in my side. There, there it is. And what's interesting is that Jesus wasn't there last week when Thomas said, I need proof. I need to see the wounds in his hands, the wounds in his side. I need proof. But Jesus came a week later and knew exactly what Thomas needed, exactly what would bring him out of this place of doubt and this place of brokenness. And he doesn't get angry with him. He's not upset with him, but he comes to him as, as a patient savior with love and grace and mercy. He says, come here, Tom. Go ahead. See for yourself. See, I am who they said I am. And again, we've all been there in our faith walk. We've all had to doubt. And it doesn't matter if you follow Jesus all your life or you don't even believe now. There's doubt that just kind of, we have to wrestle with this thing. And Jesus invites us. Jesus invites us in all of our doubt, in all of our pain, with our questions, with our, our brokenness, to come to him and see for yourself. Come to him and see for yourself that he is the Messiah. And he's not angry about it. He's not upset about it. He's patient and loving and inviting. And just know in those moments when you come openly and honestly before him with your questions and your hurts, he will give you, he will give you what you need. Now, it might not be what you want, but he will give you what you need. And then in all love and compassion, he will say, now stop. 
and believe. Stop doubt. Believe. And Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The purpose of John's gospel, the purpose of John's gospel, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You know, that first verse where it says, because you have seen me, you believe, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. I always thought that Jesus was kind of, kind of, kind of sticking it to Thomas a little bit, maybe just belittling him a little bit. Like, okay, you know what? You got to see me. You got, I got, I showed up here. I showed you my wounds. You stuck your fingers in, in the wound, which let's be honest, is a little bit gross, but it's in the Bible anyway. So, and so Thomas, he gets to see what he gets to see Jesus and touch him and talk to him. And it's almost like, it almost sounds like to me, like he's, he's, his faith is like a second rate faith. And I always thought that for forever. And that, and that the people who don't see and believe, those are the ones that got it together. Those are the people that are going to get the blessing. Those are the people that are strong in faith. But I don't see it that way anymore. We in the West, we have this idea of, of faith, that it's a very personal, subjective thing, uh, like a choice of religion. I got my stuff, you got your stuff, and, you know, that's it. And, and too often, well, let me say this, that's not, that's not the way it was in Jesus' day. See, we think that our faith is not based on any historical evidence or any proof at all. But that's not the way it was in the days of Jesus, in his culture. If faith means that there is absolutely no way to prove any of the claims of faith, well, okay. Or or if faith means that that we have to make up the objects of our faith, that there's no proof at all. Well, that, you know what? That's kind of lame. I mean, what, what good is that? That means I can have faith in unicorns and leprechauns. And, and, and it could be okay. Because I just kind of made that up and I'm going to start a church. Not another one. I'm just using that as a hypothetical. So don't get nervous. We're not going to worship leprechauns or unicorns. But anyway, you, you got my point, right? And that's why verse 29, the first verse, is connected to the other ones. Many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you will have life in his name. Jesus knows that many, many people are going to come to faith in him who have never personally seen him, never were able to touch him and to talk to him as I'm talking to you now. And and why is that? Because there's absolutely no evidence at all? No, of course not. We have an historical record of the Messiah and the things that he has done. And for those of us who have never saw Jesus, have seen him face to face, we can believe and we can have life because of our belief. Thomas 
has become part of, his story has become part of a chain of evidence. He doubted. He saw. He believed. He professed. My Lord, my God. And because of that, God chose to write that story in this collection of writings. And generations upon generations have come to put their faith in Jesus Christ because we have an historical document that tells us Jesus walked the earth, that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus is who he said he is. And because of that, many come to faith. Many have come to faith. But that's not the end of the story. That's not the period. That's not the closing of the book. Because God continues to write those stories. Even today, God is continuing to write the stories, giving evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He continues to bring people from death to life, from death into life, over and over again, because of the power of Christ, that he overcame death on the cross, and he died, and he rose again, and once and for all, we can have life. Now, what I want to do this morning is I want to ask some questions. And I want you just to listen to these questions and uh, see if they ring true to you in any way. You don't have to respond. I just want you to hear these, and I want you to think about them and see if they ring true to you. Because of Jesus, you've been healed from an addiction. Because of Jesus... You have been healed and freed from anger. Because of Jesus, your marriage has been healed, strengthened. Because of Jesus, you're a better husband. You're a better wife. You're a better mom. You're a better dad. Because of Jesus, you have been or you are being healed from depression, from anxiety, from low self-esteem, from fear. Because of Jesus, you have been set free from your past. Because of Jesus, you have been able to go on in life when something terrible has happened and you haven't you didn't even have the strength to get out of bed but because of him you took one day at a time and he strengthened you because of Jesus you know you have been forgiven because of Jesus your life has has moved from a life of hatred to a life of love. Because of Jesus, your life has moved from a life of hopelessness to a life of hope. Because of Jesus, your life has has moved from a place of just wanting and gathering and greed to a place of, of generosity. Now, 
if any of those things rang true for you, any of them at all, would you just put your hand up for a second? And just hold it up there. Look around. Look around. This is the continued evidence. This is the continued chain of evidence that God continues to write throughout history. This is the evidence of Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead and the power of His Spirit at work in 2011, today. Your stories just like the story of Thomas, can remove doubt from people. Because no one can argue with your story. No one can argue what Christ has done in your life. They may, they may not believe it, but the truth is there. You were once this way, but now because of Jesus, you are this way. And you have life. And you've changed. No one, no one can tell you different. God's story, God continues to write the story of redemption. God continues to write the story of the resurrection this very day. And I'm here to tell you that the evidence of the resurrected Messiah is strong and it is well and it is alive. I'll pray for you guys. God, I want to thank you for every person here this morning. It doesn't matter where they are in their faith right now, God, because I know that, that you're, you're at work. You are at work. I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for each story that's been written here in people's lives. And God, and I, pray, I pray that they would share that with people. They would share the story of how they move from death to life and more people would believe. God, thank you for the grace to stand tall. Thank you for the, the strength and confidence to say, He is risen, and the tomb is empty. And because of that, we have life today, life in abundance and life eternal. Lord, I pray for those who may have doubts and questions. God, I pray that they would not give up and just settle in, but they would continue to press and search and go to you for the answers. And God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them exactly how they need for you to do it. Life would be changed. And they would move from death to life. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, Amen.